Welcome back, everybody. Glad that you're here with us again. What is Life's Learning Curve Podcast? Stories that help build the person we would become the best us. They picked me out of the crowd. A lot of people can learn lessons from our parents' generation. You know, fill your rooms up with people that love you, folks. Daddy was going running like a wild dog. From childhood, all your stories, you remember telling them at a shorter height. Belayed my shin open down to the muscle. It was learning was a fun thing for me. Old people that would grab you and give you that wet kiss. Now that's value. That's us. Life's learning curve. Ahead we go. The tallest of the boys grabbed Jeff again by the wrist, and he pushed him to the ground. The whitest boy there, wearing that uh, dirty, stained, horizontal striped shirt, then stood on Jeff's wrist with his foot, put his weight on him. Jeff couldn't get up or help himself. The tall boy said, So you can't talk. Maybe this will make you talk. And he pulled out a magnifying glass and he held it over the palm side of Jeff's hand. He was purposely being burned. This is Life's Learning Curve Podcast. I'm Paul Hart. Stand by for The Creek. So in the summer, when I was around eight years old, my sister Sue and her good friend Sue Kay came home one day and told me they discovered something. It was a creek creek. called Poplar Creek. It was where two creeks actually merged together and became one larger creek called Willow Creek. And there was a park there, Willow Creek Park. It was right by my house. It was just east of my house by a few blocks. I didn't even know. But actually it was attached to a private piece of property that had been made public in the creek area. That property was fenced off. It was 11 acres. America does real. 11 acres were gifted to the area by the Isaac Walton League of America. Formed in 1922, the Isaac Walton League continued the work of 16th century's author Isaac Walton, who wrote a book called The Complete Angler. The purpose of Walton's book was to promote, sustain, and influence others about the environment. Walton used fictional characters to write about fishing, philosophy, recreation, social bonding, and conservation. At one time, open to the public, this friendly and well-manicured park was where Willow and Poplar Creeks merged together and eventually emptied into a larger river, the Fox River. It looked like a place painter Norman Rockwell would have painted a family enjoying a picnic while the kids played in the creek or fished in the creek. The city had built two bridges there. Now, when my sister came home that day when I was eight and excitedly announced my family, she had found, and her friend Sue had found, this new world of adventure, this creek. My mom said right away, Don't go to the creek. My dad was less worried about it, but supported my mom. To him, that was a part of growing up. Discovery and having your own adventures? Yeah, just listen to your mom. But I'm guessing that my mom was worried about drowning. She was worried about us not being able to swim in the current, although it was probably a foot and a half deep at the deepest parts. My mom was a non-swimmer, and she worried about those things. 
She worried about possible infections if we got caught by something in the creek that somebody thrown in there, a tin can or something. I understand that now as an adult. And she worried about possible weird people, unusual characters hanging out there. Hey, but by the way, what are you up to? I never saw anybody there at the creek. It was always empty, but it was so beautiful. I was nine years old. My friend Jeff, who was with me, was 12. We considered ourselves adventurers. Now let me tell you about my good friend Jeff. For a few years, my good friend, neighborhood friend Jeff and I, heeded my mom's rule. We would not go to the creek, but we got really close to it. (laughs) To get there, to the creek area, there was this bikers, walkers only path on this super steep downhill to the creek. And at the bottom of the slope lay about two feet of pea gravel. That's those little fine little rocks. We spent about two weeks challenging each other on that path to practice our skills maneuvering our bikes down that steep slope. And we crunched into the pea gravel at the bottom. Our bikes just and sunk into it. We discovered that our bikes would sink in the pea gravel. And it was about two to three feet, like I said. And if you don't get stopped by the pea gravel, You and your bike will careen straight off a cliff, airborne, and you and your bike will crash into the creek. So you had to maintain control of your bike. We spent two weeks doing that, practicing the slope. Jeff and I discovered that if you landed on just the right spot in the pea gravel and made the necessary right turn immediately, crunch, turn right, you could maneuver your bike to the first bridge easily without a problem. So it was great fun for us as a kid, going as fast as you can down a footpath with no traffic or people that you had to be careful to watch out for. It was always empty. And we'd careen our bikes down there and we'd land at the pea gravel and lift them up and flip it to the right and enter the footbridge. Quite cool. It was great fun and we actually ignored the creek for a couple of weeks on that path's downslope. But that path would not stop our progress for long. There was a beautiful, bubbling, gentle creek at the bottom of the downslope, and it was beginning to call to us. I need to backtrack a bit here. Now, a year prior to this, eight-year-old me had my first new bike, and I was really proud of this Schwinn Red three-speed bike. I had earned half the money for it, and half I got for a birthday present. I washed it at least once a week, maybe more. My dad was proud to see me washing it and taking care of it and checking the brakes. When summer arrived, like most kids, I was full of optimism and adventure, and uh, my friend Jeff, he was age 11 at that time, and I biked on another road that took us to a different neighborhood. Now, I don't believe we had permission to do this, but we did. This is what we did. Jeff was what I call a creator, air quotes. He dreamed of big things as a kid, and as a youth, he often looked for the fun life had and what he could do with that. 
Nothing dangerous, just a great perspective. Cool kid to hang around. He always seemed to see things, um, opportunities that I didn't see. At the time, we didn't know there was a creek there. As we entered this new neighborhood, not through the downslope, because we didn't know about that, but we were just coming in the other end. These older kids, like 14 or 15 years old, bullies approached us. One of them had bright red hair and yelled, Come to us. Big kids usually equal scary kids. So the red-haired kid immediately picked up Jeff, age 11, and physically shoved him into the creek. Jeff came up sucking for air, and he also had a cut on his head. I'll never forget seeing that blood in the water on the creek. Jeff was only 12, but there wasn't much he could say or do. These boys were much bigger and much more aggressive. Jeff chose to be as quiet as possible. He staggered out of the creek, wet, scared. I remember the look on his face. It was like a look of terror. We didn't know what these boys were going to do. He was bleeding. Jeff had no response. He was using the playing dead model of protection. Now, my bike was new, and I had promised to take care of it. I also had promised that I wouldn't go to places I wasn't supposed to be by riding it. Eh, I had just broken that rule. I wondered if these kids would hurt or steal my bike. And why were they not picking on me? I became anxious. The tallest of the boys grabbed Jeff again by the wrist, and he pushed him to the ground. The whitest boy there wearing that uh, dirty, stained, horizontal striped shirt then stood on Jeff's wrist with his foot, put his weight on him. Jeff couldn't get up or help himself. The tall boy said, So you can't talk. Maybe this will make you talk. And he pulled out a magnifying glass and he held it over the palm side of Jeff's hand. He was purposely being burned. Jeff's hand, oh no. The boys told us they were aliens. We knew better, but that was what they chose to tell us, and all I knew was that they were dangerous, older, aggressive, and very threatening. (laughs) I was too small to do anything about this at that time, but I finally yelled, Leave him alone! Jeff then screamed in pain. I had spoken. He yelled. He should yell. His skin was being burned by the concentrated focus of the magnifying glass. He screamed and pulled away with great force. That was when they pushed me to the ground. Somebody came up behind me and knelt down, so when I got pushed, I fell over someone else's back. I watched with terror as I sat in the ground. The wide kid with the dirty striped shirt took my new bike picked it up and tossed it in the creek nearby. Then they threw in Jeff's bike. His bike was bent and it would prove to be unrepairable. The abuse was getting worse. And then the tallest of the big kids yelled, The police are coming. Get out of here. Let's go. Go, go. True. I looked over and a squad car was slowly coming up the road. The tough boys ran to their bikes, got on, and evaporated into the neighborhood. The police car just rolled by, and Jeff and I retrieved our bikes, and we slunk home, wounded, dented, 
defeated. Now, Jeff's hand was burned, but not severely. Band-Aid material. When I got back home, I quickly washed my bike and I looked for dents and scratches. If my dad saw dirt or dents in my brand new bike, he wouldn't be happy with me. I don't know what he'd do. But not even a scrape. I got lucky. I'm sorry, Dad. Jeff was not so lucky. He was grounded for two weeks for destroying his bike permanently and going somewhere that we didn't have permission to be. I got off a little bit easier. Three days of grounding and a boatload of chores to do. I would never travel to that end of the neighborhood again. Now it's a year later, and Jeff and I are back at the creek, but we're accessing it from the slope on the other end of the neighborhood. So after so many weeks of flying our bikes down the slope, we finally entered the creek, and it was one whole summer of capturing crayfish and minnows. We weren't fast enough to catch turtles, though. When we took the crayfish home, because we wanted to keep them, you know, we saw they were like pets. We took them home with creek water, and they were dead in a day, and the minnows didn't last well much longer. These were never meant to be pets. That's when I learned how fragile the environment has to be for living things, all living creatures. So the Isaac Walton League of America knew what they were talking about way back in 1922. On a particular sunny July day, my friend Jeff and I waded into the creek. The sand felt soft and squishy. It was. Even the rocks had been worn smooth by thousands of years of water smoothing off the edges. Now, our mission that day was to find out where this creek went to. Where did it lead to? We didn't know. It probably goes to the ocean. Went to the river, but we didn't know that. Which ocean? It was one of those really hot and humid mid-midwest summer scorcher days and the sun was in full presentation no clouds hot we entered the creek at the bridges and spent the entire day moving farther and farther downstream at our slow pace we saw larger fish and at one point when the creek came to a sharp corner the creek became as deep as a 10-foot swimming pool We hung out there and for over an hour and a half. I wish we had lunch. (laughs) We would have eaten lunch there. We ran and we jumped into the deepest part of the creek. I recall how clean and clear and refreshing that water was. On occasion, Jeff and I would get out of the water just so we could uh, take a leaf and pull the bloodsucker leeches off one another. They were on our arms, our backs, and our legs. That's what good friends do for one another. We passed backyards of people's homes who built on their properties so they could back right up to this creek. It was that beautiful in some spots. We were surrounded by weeds on both sides at some times with no houses around us. In about two feet of water, a foot and a half of water, something like that or less, we were in the creek moving south most of the day. I thought we were miles from home. 
Maybe we'd gone into another state. We were making great progress, but soon hunger surpassed our adventure. And we waded back upstream. It was dinner time. We backtracked and we went home. It was dinner time. I was hungry. Jeff was hungry. To my surprise, we had only ventured about a hundred yards that day from where we began. The adventure had been worth it all. I still think about it every now and then. My mind travels back to the creek and having that adventure, which I wish I could do all over again. Late that summer, Jeff and I discovered something. A boy's dream. We discovered the depth of the woods next to the creek. It was the world's coolest tree fort. There was this rope in there where you could swing out over the water and drop in where the creek was deep. It had about seven different levels of its own. And it had about eight different trees that it was built on. So it just, it was like... It was like a tree fort built up in the canopy, the tops of the trees. There were three more rope swings and had great climbing steps up into the largest tree. Yet, it was hidden from the outside world. You couldn't see it if you walked by it on the street or the path. And it was dense brush in that area. We actually thought we had discovered this tree fort. Like somebody had built it and a long time ago and left it there. Rediscovered. <laughs> like it was lost or it was forgotten, some sort of treasure. Maybe they didn't want it. Maybe it was just abandoned because the kids had moved on, we wondered. Maybe they got older and grew up and just left it that way. But after a short while, we heard neighborhood kids coming right toward us. Hey! Hey! Get out of there! That's our treehouse, idiots! They came and they chased us. But for some reason, we didn't budge, we didn't leave. It was just so cool. <laughs> I felt like, well, this is so great. I'm not leaving, no. Can we play in the fort? No. They answered. It's ours. But we didn't believe them. Probably because I so badly wanted to claim the fort that it had been abandoned by someone else. It had to be somebody else's tree fort. Yeah. Then... They were all cool about it. We played together. We all played side by side. I'd say there was about eight or nine of us in total that day. We all played in the cool tree fort. It was like Swiss Family Robinson, if you know what that is. If not, look it up. There were ropes and there were pulleys and the pulleys did things to open other doors that were made out of tree bark, big pieces of tree bark and buckets that were hoisted up from the ground. But suddenly I heard something else. It was a voice, it was an adult's voice. And it was coming closer. A very intoxicated dad came out with a beer in his hand and he yelled at us. This was created for his kids. He threatened that he had already called the police and we stayed put once again, mostly because the other kids were cool having us play there. Now the police did come. <laughs> And they told the dad, who had been drinking quite a bit, that he did not own the land on which the tree fort stood, and he could not claim any part of it. The police then told us all to go home. 
I remember leaving as the intoxicated dad argued and growled and grumbled with one of the officers. Now my good summer friend Jeff and I never went back there. But we were told that someone, a few weeks later, set the fort and all the trees on it are on fire, scorching some of the houses nearby. Being a kid can be dangerous when you truly do not really know what's going on. Maybe mom was right. Don't go to the creek. To this day, I still have dreams about this magical, adventurous tree fort in the creek that flowed right beneath it. Now, I would be lying to you if I told you I never went back to that creek. But it took about 43 years. And here I was again as an adult on my bike. I rode my bike as an adult down that steep downslope one more time. It was similar. It was a hot July day. It was humid in the mid-Midwest and it was full of sun. And when my bike hit the bottom in the pea gravel at the bottom slope, I twisted the handlebars and I corrected my bike and it shot onto the bridge at Poplar Creek. I was proud of myself for remembering that maneuver from 43 years ago. <laughs> Almost as a reflex, I checked to make sure that there weren't older boys coming for us down the street. Nope, it was clear. This time, I stopped and I really looked out at the water. Standing on top of the bridge, I saw that besides some new picnic tables nearby, the small creek remained unchanged. And that was probably thanks to the Isaac Walton Foundation's interest in conserving land. I leaned on the railing and I squinted and looked down at the creek water. I visualized Jeff and then I visualized me We were boys again and we were having that adventure, like all boys should have in the summer. Innocent, full of free time, full of discovery. Now my friend Jeff had passed away from an illness about 10 years prior to that. But you know, I I had a feeling that uh, Jeff was with me that day. You know, when people say you can't go back, I think they're wrong. If your state of mind is set properly, you can go back and let your mind take you through those days when you were young and so very busy doing nothing. The Life's Learning Curve, I'm Paul Hart. Life's Learning Curve podcast is put together by producer Paul Hart with assistance by Tom Ketchum, Jack McIntyre, and Sebastian T. Dog. 
were mixed by Bob Horner, technical director Heidi Cerner. As always, music and audio assistance by Riley Hart. Visit our website. Subscribe to it, too. Lifeslearningcurve.org. In today's show, some voices were digitally enhanced for entertainment purposes only. As always, find our podcast almost all places podcasts are heard. I'm Paul Hart, and we will be back soon with more stories from Life's Learning Curve.